This is the 200 Churches Podcast, episode 184. If it's really the case that the Lord has given the church to us to lead, He knows we're human beings. He knows we get tired. He knows we live in bodies that get sick. He knows that we need to rest. He knows we don't always have ideas or energy and all the long list of things He knows about us, and yet He handed us this church anyway. And so there must be some way if He has done that for us to lead as human beings. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a fresh episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who, like you, serve in the trenches of small church ministry. The Oscar and Felix of ministry podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Johnny Craig. Johnny Craig, my co-producer of the podcast. That's a cool title, co-producer. Yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. It's plastic and hollow, but it sounds good. It's it's, it's essentially a lie, because you definitely do all the producing of the podcast. Well, it's fun. The 200 Churches Podcast, encouraging pastors of small churches to remember that, you know what, you've got a normal church. Your church is about the size of... You know, 98% of the churches in history since the time of Jesus. <laughs> when you put it like that, it sounds pretty good. You know, we've got these mega churches today. You know, we came up with the term mega church, you know? Yeah. We used to have mega meals. I think McDonald's. Did they come up with the, the mega the s- thirsty two-ouncer? Thirsty two-ouncer. That's you know, funny. I mean, mega churches came about in the, in the 60s or 70s. Yeah. Maybe not even the 60s. Maybe the, maybe the, the word the mega. The 70s with the Crystal Cathedral, maybe? It could be. Yeah. It could be. I mean, the Crystal Cathedral, it started in the 50s, but uh, I don't think there was crystal until <laughs> late <laughs> That's 60s. That's when it really took yeah, off. Yeah, <laughs> early 70s. <laughs> right. But, I mean, this mega, this mega church idea is a very recent, recent, recent idea. In, in history, oh, yeah. In, in Christianity. Yeah, for sure. And so uh, if you're not a megachurch pastor, welcome to the ministry. Yeah. Because that's what pastors do. They shepherd small flocks of sheep. And you know what? That's for a, Jesus. It's, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. It you know, is. Our, our guest today says in her book, and she said it a, briefly on the podcast, the job of the job of pastor is impossible, and that's why we need God. Oh, yeah, right. That's well, like that might be like right at the front end of the book where she says that. Well, that's rude. Yeah, but that's the thing is right. You're a small church pastor, and that in and of itself is impossible, right? Without God, so I think we should feel good as pastors that we get to do a job where we rely on God, where we can't just make this thing up. We have to have God's help. I'm being demeaned. Come on. I'm being demeaned and humiliated. It's time I'm to let put down. your vulnerability shine through, Jeff. Wow. Like I mean, that. this is America, you know? <laughs> oh, no, this is no. The, this is the can-do country. Yes. I mean, power, capability, success. Yeah. Oh, amen, yes. Now, Pastor, do you understand that so many values of our culture are antithetical to the values of the kingdom of God? Stop it. Is that true? It's um, seriously. And you know, we forget that so easily. Yeah, it's that true. the values of the kingdom are different than the values of the kingdom we live in and are a citizen of on the planet. Well, McDonald's has that sign above their buildings, 1 billion served. Maybe billions. And I think that a lot of churches just wish they had that sign above their building. Can you imagine the headaches? Yeah. 
A billion church members. A billion church members. Oh, my goodness. You know who has a billion church members is God, and I think he can handle it. He can handle it. So he, he gives us it. our little slice of yeah. that. So let's not chase the billion people served, the 100,000 people served. Let's focus on the people that God gave us and uh, and building the kingdom of God right where we're at. Sometimes, as a small church pastor, I'm guilty of thinking more about the people that aren't here mm. That I wish were here, not so that their souls can be saved and so that they could live in the kingdom of God and live lives of good news, but so that, you know, I could have a bigger church. It feels and, better preaching to a full auditorium. Well, you know, I, I say that, but honestly, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting further and further away from wrestling yeah. with that all yeah. the time. And I am looking at the people who are in my church well, I'm thinking about, yes, the people who aren't there yet, but the people who need Jesus, who need the good news of the gospel. Exactly. And the gospel is good news. And if we ever present it as anything but good news, we're probably on the wrong track and not presenting the right gospel. Hey, but this isn't a theological podcast, is it? Well, I'm not going to split doctrinal hairs. Certainly not. You no, know, good news, okay news, you know. I mean, as long good as news, it's okay. news. That's the, that's the doctrinal hair you take to split. I mean, you know. So, hey. That's news. I don't know. News. Pastor, pastor, you're, you're important if you're pastoring people. Amen. It doesn't matter the size. And we've got a woman today, Mandy Smith, who is a native Australian. Yes. And so she joins the ranks of Jeremiah and uh, John Finkeldy. What's yeah. like uh, Hollis. Hollis. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Hollis. Hollis. Yeah, and John Finkeldy. And John Finkeldy. And, the, and, and listeners, uh, listeners like our friend Mickey from Melbourne. Me- yeah, there you go. How, how they I do think it? you got it. I think Melbourne. you got it, yeah. Because she's from Brisbane. <laughs> and that's right. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't want me to say Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> No, Mickey from Melbourne, we're we're asking you to rate the accent level of our guest today. She's been here 17 years now. On a scale of 1 to 10, yeah. 1 being American, <laughs> 10 being Australian. 10 being one of those guys that you see on YouTube videos and you can't understand a word they're saying. <laughs> that's right. They're yelling right. about crocodiles or something. Yeah. You, just, you just send me a text or a, 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 a tweet or whatever it is that we do. And uh, let me know. That's funny. Let me know. So, Mandy Smith, we heard her on the Theology on Mission podcast. Yeah, friend of the show, David Fitch, has Je- had her on his podcast. And Jeff Holzclaw. And Jeff, we, we need to have Jeff on, too, yeah. But Theology on Mission, which we're big fans of around here, and we've pointed you to before. And uh, she was a guest on that. She writes at Missio Alliance uh, a lot. If you don't read Missio Alliance, you know, go check it out. Um, it's kind of a cool uh, resource for pastors and churches. They put on conferences and things like that. But she's she's written a lot that I've really enjoyed, so we gave her a, a ring-a-ling, and she agreed to come talk to us about her new book uh, called The Vulnerable Pastor. And uh, it's, it's I'm fantastic. intimidated by that title. Yeah, well, I, I, the book is slowly wrecking my soul, So that's, <laughs> but in a good way. <laughs> Yeah, but this, in a good way. this woman is just a delightful person. Yeah. She really is. It was a great time talking to her. She's she's easy to talk to, easy to listen to, and uh, we know that you're going to be blessed by this conversation. Today, we have Mandy Smith on the podcast with us. Now, Mandy, I've, I've, I've read your uh, work at Missio Alliance, and we've had some people who work kind of with Missio Alliance on the podcast before. Uh, I'm a big fan. And then I heard you on the Theology on Mission podcast, which we've had David Fitch on before. 
uh, this podcast, and I thought we really this is this is the kind of person we need to have on. You have a couple books today. We're going to be talking about your book, The Vulnerable Pastor. But I don't uh, I don't want to you know get to that just yet because I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and your journey kind of to where you're at today. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, yeah, I'm Mandy Smith, originally from Australia, and uh, moved here actually in 1989. So I've been here for some time. Always kind of felt a call to ministry. Never really knew what that looked like. Uh, but I'm now leading a University Christian Church here in Cincinnati. It's right by the University of Cincinnati campus, and we have an interesting kind of dual call, both to the neighborhood and to the campus, which has its own challenges but also uh, its own joys. We have uh, the city's first fair trade cafe which opened here in uh, about 12 13 years ago now and so it's a great way for us to use our building to really welcome the community in seven days a week and that brings a certain kind of vibrancy and lots of arts and all that kind of stuff um i am so we have i know you guys talk about numbers in a healthy way so the church is probably about between 250 and 300 we don't really um, have membership so it's always hard to keep track of that and um we have about 10 on staff but lots of part-timers and uh, my husband is a new testament professor at a small bible college here in town and i have two teenage kids so i'm actually part-time both of my associate pastors are full-time so that's an interesting dynamic um but i did that because i wanted to still be available um for my kids when they were little and Still, they still need me now, even though they're bigger. And uh, Mandy, so, you are turning everything upside down for just, us traditionalists. Oh my yes, goodness! Sorry, <laughs> not on purpose. That's just kind of the way it's it's worked out. That's so, cool. That's very that's cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm always encouraging Jeff to pay his associate more than he takes, but he as of yet we haven't gotten there. <laughs> Let me know how that goes. <laughs> Mandy, you're the third. Aussie we've had because we we've had John Finkeldy a number of times we had Jeremiah on a, a couple times yeah now. the third that's so right. where we know yes. a bit about Australia where are you from in Australia I am from Brisbane and you do not say Brisbane that's oh, one okay it's, it's kind of like I don't know if you guys know about this but like I'm close to Kentucky so you do not say Louisville so it's what, the same kind of thing what do you say you say Louisville Oh, there you Louisville. go. There oh, you go. I, did, I had no idea. I'm sorry. I so know. it's the same way you do not say Brisbane. You say Brisbane. So Brisbane is uh, kind of the Chicago side. Like it's the third largest city in, in Brisbane. So it's kind of like your Chicago, I guess. As far as churches go, it's a much more post-Christian kind of context. Although in some ways I think it is almost pre-Christian because they've never really had a revival. They have the the history through Britain of some kind of Christian thing, but uh, I don't know if that's ever really had a uniquely Australian flavor. And so I actually have hope that um, there's a, there is a deep sense of spirituality in the country and uh, they don't have some of the, the baggage of post-Christianity. So I kind of still feel like it's a little bit pre-Christian. That's, yeah. that's cool. Is your husband Australian as well? Or yes, is, he is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very I have cool. someone to practice my accent with. <laughs> Perfect. That's have you good. lost? Have you lost some of it in seventeen years? I think I have. When we go home, people think we're Australian. So I mean, American. So come Ooh. on, it's so funny, isn't it? So it's different, no matter where. Well, we have a, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, when I'm here, people think I sound different, and when I'm there, people think I sound different. We have a lot of Australian listeners, uh, and so good. they they will be the judge, I suppose, of yes. your accent. Hey, yeah, I want to I want to ask Mickey in uh, Melbourne and uh, ask if he should uh, rate your accent. Mickey, <laughs> go ahead and send us a message there. And, uh, I'd love to know. Rate this lady from. 
Brisbane. Brisbane. <laughs> yes, you got it. Fantastic. And it's also it's also Melbourne. Mickey might want you to know. Now, didn't I say it right? I you tried said to Melbourne. Say it. You I... can't pronounce the R in there. Yeah. Uh, what is it then? Melbourne. 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 <laughs> Melbourne. I don't. Australians don't like the R. I just, <laughs> as a general rule, I think. Anyways, that's enough Australian talk. You wrote a book, uh, and this is your second book, yeah? Or it's actually my third. Your third. Okay, very yep. cool. What are your first two about? Uh, the first one is based on the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's called "Life Is Too Important to Be Taken Seriously." The second one is uh, called "Making a Mess and Meeting God," and it's kind of hands-on devotional experiments. So. Um, having a thought from scripture and then doing some kind of crazy art project or something that doesn't require any art skill and then reflecting how the meeting of the mind and the body help us understand. Um, And then The Vulnerable Past that just came out last year. I tell you what, Mandy, that's the one uh, that I've been reading. As I was reading, I thought, my goodness, this is like like reading Eugene Peterson. Uh, And then the next thing you know, you're quoting Eugene Peterson. And I think this is like reading Henry Nouwen. And then you're (laughs) quoting Henry Nouwen. And my last thought was, this is like reading Brennan Manning. And then lo and behold, you quoted some Brennan Manning. Oh my goodness, three of my heroes. Like you couldn't say a nicer thing to me. I will tell you the truth. I said to my wife, I sent her a couple clips from the book via email while I was at my office yesterday. And I, I said to her, this book is, it's hitting me right in the guts. And she goes, it must be good because you never say that about, <laughs> about books. So it's, I think my, it's fantastic. That was my agenda. Well, good, success then, Mandy. Success. <laughs> How is it that you came to write a book about you know vulnerability? Is that something that came naturally to you yeah, or, or what? Yes. I mean, how'd you yeah. get there? It's not like I said, hmm, this would be an interesting idea. Let me talk about this. You know? Right, right. Um, I share the story in the book of how I was feeling pretty confident in myself and pretty, you know, I've, I've had the education, I've had some experience and got some talents here. I'm jumping into this new leadership role and this is going to be fine. And if it's not fine, I'll just read another book or find another program or work a little harder. And if it doesn't work, I'll just shove down the shame a little more, you know, and um, kind of had a collision with some leadership models that just didn't look like me in any way and uh, just said to the Lord, look, Father, if you want me to look like that, I've got nothing to offer you. Hmm. And uh, I was actually at a, a big conference. Everybody on stage looked so shiny and just nobody seemed to think like me or talk like me. And um, the funny thing was I, I ran to my hotel room, told the Lord i got nothing, and I didn't hear him say, no, no, buck yourself up. You'll be great. You know, I heard him say, yeah, but it's okay. <laughs> and uh, in your weakness, I am strong. And so that began a several years process of of figuring out what strength from weakness can look like. And it's only now mm. that I realized that that wasn't really comforting for me at that time in that hotel room because I had always understood that as in your weakness, I will make you feel strong. And that wasn't happening. So I didn't see the hope of that promise. But what I've come to it, to see and experience is when we feel weak, then God will be strong. God will show himself to be strong, even if we continue to feel weak, if we choose not to be uh, ashamed, and if we choose still to press on as if he can work in that, he will have the space to do that. And uh, I have I have seen that to be the case over and over. And so although I'm still very uncomfortable with my own weakness and vulnerability, I just have become more used to the discomfort, is the way I say it. So, Mandy, is it, how would you define the vulnerable pastor. Who Who is the vulnerable pastor? Yeah, well, actually, I think we all are. The question is whether we want to admit it or not. 
And so for me, vulnerability is not just, you know, Brene Brown's written some really great stuff recently, and she talks a lot about choosing to say things that reveal how we're really feeling about and, you know, showing parts of ourselves by sharing through the way we talk. And I think that's a part of it, definitely. But for me, it's it's even much bigger than that of acknowledging that we are limited human beings. And so we, not just about feeling vulnerable, but about being vulnerable. And many times we're not, we're just so used to shoving those feelings down that it takes time for us to even acknowledge, no, actually, I have to admit, I really do. I feel tired sometimes and I don't always have ideas and I notice how gifted other people are and I don't feel gifted or I don't have enough education or I'm too old or I'm too young or, you know, all of us. And I've sat in rooms with pastors and asked them to finish the question, I'm too or I'm not enough. And when we're asked it, we have many, many ways that we can end that sentence. If it's really the case that the Lord has given the church to us to lead He knows we're human beings. He knows we get tired. He knows we live in bodies that get sick. He knows that we need to rest. He knows we don't always have ideas or energy and all the long list of things he knows about us, and yet he handed us this church anyway. And so there must be some way if he has done that for us to lead as human beings. So I'm hearing you say that vulnerability is whether or not we talk about it in a certain way or admit it or not, it is a state of being. We are vulnerable and and yet there's also i think uh a sense to it where it's also a a spiritual posture that we take before god as we engage in ministry oh absolutely yeah and i watch this a lot in for first world christians i think we really have got out of the habit of just needing the lord we have so many other things that we can turn to first, and then in desperation we say, oh, maybe I should just ask God's help. You know, we go to conferences, we uh, go back to seminary, we read books, we get friends to tell us how their churches do it. We have so many things. When things aren't working that we try before we just say to the Lord, I'm desperate and I need you. And uh, from Scripture, it makes me think that actually that should be our first posture and Um, what looks like desperation to us and that we've tried everything and come to the end of our rope looks like opportunity to him if we will only only turn to him. In your book, it was just one quick kind of sentence or paragraph, but you were talking about a moment of desperation and you were saying, God, I need you. You know, I don't have enough. And you kind of said, it seemed like God didn't, God didn't show up there because showing up to dance would have been inappropriate. Like, <laughs> like God was so happy <laughs> for yeah. you to realize that you needed him, but he couldn't come in that moment because, right. you know, dancing around. Uh, why is that so hard for us to get to that place? And, you know, and why, how did you come to that place where you realized, you know, that that's where God wants us to be, right? That, that right. makes him actually do a little jig. Yes. There were two questions. Why is that hard for us? Was that the first one? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think I write about this in the book. Um, It's helped me to read some work by a guy called Albert Borgman, and he talks about technology and how we've come so much to rely on it that we actually come to think that it's our power. And I share a story in the book of being by a lake where there was no running water, no electricity, no 911 services, and feeling like... I was in this desperate situation where my daughter was drowning and suddenly running through all these things that I normally turn to to save me, basically, you know, my phone, 911, community or friends and going through this list. It must have gone really quickly and my mind just flashed, 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 all these things and none of them were at my disposal and finally saying, 
oh, I think God is all I have right now, you know. And uh, in in many countries, they just don't have all those other options. They can't reach for medication when they get a headache. They can't call 911 when their child falls down a well or whatever we have at our fingertips that we actually mistake for our own power. And so I think it has something to do with what Jesus says about, you know, it's hard to go through the eye of a needle when you're wealthy. And so that's not just about money, but about having resources and and power. And so I think everything in our education, everything in our culture has taught us if something, if you can't do the things that everybody else seems to be able to do, then there's a problem with you. Right. And there's shame around that. And you should just buy this product or you should just numb it with alcohol or you should just avoid it somehow. And we do so much. I think I cut these words from the book because it's kind of cheesy, but they all rhyme. So like we, we want to succumb to it. We want to numb it and we want to overcome it. You know, we have all these ways that we just want to fight our human, uh, just the basic limitation of being a human being. And I think all of scripture just says, what about if you just said to the Lord, I need you? And he doesn't necessarily fix it right now, except that in our, in our heart he does, because the turning of our posture is what, begun, what begins to, to fix something, at least in us, and then whatever comes from that can flow into our situations. What was the second part of the question, or did I already kind of cover that? Well, yeah, I think you, I think you did. As, I, as I've read and as I've, I've been listening to you right now, I'm thinking to myself, we should think of this as an incredible, f- incredibly freeing idea, right? Mm-hmm. That, that God is God and we're not, and that's why he chooses to use us, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not freeing <laughs> for a lot of us. Yeah. I mean, what's the journey toward that recognition of I can be free in this? You talk about I'm so uh, inadequate that it's funny, right? Like almost yeah. finding humor in the things yeah. you can't do, right? right. How, there, how do you get there? Exactly. Read my book. <laughs> that, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it actually is incredibly freeing once we stop fighting it. And there is a way that I used to try to cover up my failures and limitations so much and now I can like you said I can be like well this is so far beyond me I just have to laugh like we just are going to have to ask the Lord here because there's no way I can do this right and uh, it's really freeing to do that but I think short version is I think I've just kind of pressed into everything that I claim to believe that I wasn't really living beforehand and so things like if it's really true that that God has given the church to humans does that mean I can be sick today? Will the church fall apart if I need to go back to bed? And doing it when I'm sick and finding out, actually, he was just fine without me just for today, you know. Yeah. And so kind of testing all those ways and things like, what about if I have had an argument with my husband this morning and I've got an important meeting in half an hour and I haven't resolved that argument yet? Is it possible for a lead pastor to turn up to work without having fixed all of her relationship issues and still somehow do her job and be honest about her struggles and then move on and trust that God is good. You know, so Mm. it's kind of been through, like the only way I've learned that that is acceptable is by actually going through that (laughs) and telling my staff, I'm sorry, I'm just really not having a great day. I'm not really feeling ready for this meeting. Does anybody else have any ideas that I wasn't able to prepare for this meeting. And funnily enough, they did. And funnily enough, they stepped up and had an opportunity to lead and had an opportunity to minister to me and had an opportunity to learn that leaders don't have to have it all together and can have problems in their marriages sometimes. So short answer would be when there becomes this conflict between what we think it means to be a leader and 
just our confrontation of human weakness to actually press into that and say, can God be strong even in this? And, and it's surprising how much he can. You're telling me it's okay for a pastor, a leader, to show up to a, to a meeting a little low on gas, running on fumes, and, that, and then that their board or, or their team could help them and prop them up? You would hope, yeah. <laughs> I think you would hope. That's something yeah. you would absolutely hope for. I think, you know, I do speak to pastors who say I'm I'm not in a safe environment in order to actually go there with my folks. And right. that makes me really sad. Uh, and it actually, I think it's a bit of a litmus test because if the church is not comfortable with a pastor being a human being, maybe they're seeking God in the pastor. Maybe they need to look to God. <laughs> It's it's the kind of thing that is purifying. You know, it brings some truths to the surface that we have to confront. Mandy, you listed some things in your book talking about false messages that you're hearing. Mm. Really, you know, and other people talk about the tapes, you know, that run in our minds and the recordings mm-hmm. we keep playing over and over. They're MP3s for me. Yeah, they're MP3s. They're <laughs> yeah. eight tracks for me, Johnny. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, yeah, and so w- one of these that you have in here is uh, and this is interesting to me since uh, since you're a woman. You say, I need to represent women pastors well, especially with how I express my feelings, how mm. I look. Uh, I should never be girly or frumpy and never remind anyone of the baggage they have with their mothers. <laughs> so have have literally all these thoughts gone through your mind at oh one time goodness, or another? That's only some of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you said I, I need to live up to other standards. I can't have needs. I need to make everyone happy. To present only fully developed intellectual ideas. I mean, that one hit me like yeah. hard. Yeah. yeah. And then yet you say that. And then yet you said another thing going through your mind is that my, my voice is smaller and less valuable than others. Mm. And man, I know that as pastors listen to that, they're saying, yeah, I've I've had those thoughts before. Mm-hmm. You know, how do these messages, how destructive are these thoughts in the mm-hmm. life of a pastor? Oh, I can't even, I think I can't overstate how destructive they are. And I think they're Satan's best handiwork, you know, to undermine us. And if we begin to live into them, we all have things we long for that we want to see in the world. You know, I'm valued. I belong. And we all kind of look for reasons to hope that it's true. And if those reasons don't quite look the way we hope they will, then we begin to believe that we don't belong. And then everything seems to confirm that. And so I, I, I think Satan loves to undermine us by, by telling us those lies. And I don't think they ever really go away. I think we just learn to recognize them and give them less and less of a hearing. But I absolutely believe. And most of the things that pastors do that are destructive in their congregations, I believe, grow from their interpretation of events um, that's kind of filtered through these, these false beliefs that, that we all have. And we're, we're not, I think what was really helpful for me is just becoming conscious uh, of them so that it's not a knee-jerk reaction based on my fears and false messages, but um, that I can actually say, like, oh, hang on a second, um, that's not actually what I claim to be true. And so, again, it's kind of a rigorous um, effort to live as if what I claim to believe is truly true. So if I am a beloved daughter of God, what would that really look like? You know, what does he say about me? It sounds like maybe the gospel of Jesus fixes some of this stuff. 
Fancy that. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, this actually, I think I write about in there. This began being about am I good at my job or not? And it be, became a totally, I mean, it feels like a salvation experience. I've been following the Lord my whole life, really. But this feels like a moment where I came to understand on a deeper level than ever before how much I really need him. It reminds me of that verse, it is for freedom, mm-hmm. right? That Christ yeah. has set us free. Yeah, the gospel is good news, always, okay. always. Yeah. And it changes these things. It really does. Yes. And it's helped me to understand the nature of Jesus as, as human and God as well. And, and I think that the temptations in the desert, Satan was holding up the mirror like he does to us and saying, look, you're just a human. Look how limited and small you are. Hmm. And here are some quick fixes to avoid the pain of that. And Jesus didn't look at humanity with shame. If he had in that moment of temptation in the desert, then I don't think he could have done what he came to do. Mm. And instead he said, yes, I'm limited and I can't, I can't have these quick fixes that you're, that you're offering me, but I'm going to trust the Lord even in my limitation. And, and that just is amazing to me that he, I love that he didn't, that he chose not to find the shame that we all often find in our own limitations. Speaking of limitations, you, you talk a little bit, and this, this is right from the introduction, but this quote jumped out at me. It said, In our efforts to project strength and success, we continue a cycle of unhealthy ideals, setting up unrealistic expectations for others, reproducing something hollow. When we hear only about the strengths and successes of others, it crushes us, and mm. yet we crush others mm. by presenting only our strengths and successes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of small church pastors feel like this as far as the impact of their ministry or or the the abilities that they're coming to the table with. You know, I can't grow my church. Does that say something about me? You know, what is a way out of that pattern? Because because I feel that, you know, tension where we're the 200 churches podcast guys. We could come on here and make it sound like we've got the whole thing figured out. We got the podcast. Well, man. I mean, you know, Johnny, we can't be, <laughs> we, we can't, can't be, be boasting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so how, you know, how do we get out of that pattern of being crushed and then turning around and crushing someone else? Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? The only thing that helps me with that is trusting the Lord is at work in me and in my community and that somehow all of this is interwoven. My need for him is not divorced from the same need that every person in my community has. And as I seek him, if I'm able to somehow let my need for him be seen, I'm now not the model, but I'm modeling how to follow him. That's that's a tricky process to figure out how to uh, wisely and in a healthy way share behind the scenes. But there definitely is a way that it can be done that invites other people into that freedom with you. And they begin to rely on you less and rely on God more. Mandy, I'm thinking that in our culture right now, you know, a lot of cultural values center around strength, right? And fortitude and self-confidence. Yeah. I mean, we hear it all, all the time these days. We need toughness. We need toughness. We mm-hmm. need more strength. We don't need weakness. We've got too much weakness. Don't leaders project strength? And don't they project confidence so that others will follow? So, what you know, how have you handled this this mm. uh, this mythical dichotomy is what it really right. is, yeah. or, or this contradiction. Right. Well, I think, strangely enough, I feel stronger than I ever have, and this has taken a lot more courage than pretending I've got it all together. 
uh, used to take. And so there's a different kind of strength, and it's a faith kind of a strength as opposed to uh, puffing yourself up kind of a strength. But uh, I actually think that people who feel the need to look strong all the time actually are just having this desperate kind of attempt to put on that front. And that's so for me, the question is, are you strong or are you weak? The question is, are you willing to confront your weakness or aren't you? Are you willing to keep pretending you're in control or are you willing to confront the reality that you're not? And we're probably thinking about the election right now. No single human being can step into the White House and promise us that we will never have a terrorist attack again. As much as as much effort as they might put in, no human being can guarantee that. And so I don't put my hope in somebody who makes claims, no matter what party they're representing. If I really thought that a human, I just don't believe that anybody could 100% guarantee that because we, we just can't control as much as we think we can control. And so there is definitely a kind of strength in saying, I absolutely trust the Lord can do anything. I don't know what he's going to do, but let's explore that together and, and see where he leads us. And so it's a different kind of strength, I think. So this this book is actually, it's been born out of your experience. Oh, uh, yes. This, this climbing, this crawling, uh, uh, scratching, if you would, you know, trying to get out of this. Uh, you must have felt like you were in some kind of a leadership pit, and you knew that there was something better. Mm. Yeah. And, and you found the better to be simply accept your limitations and weaknesses, and instead of relying on yourself we just we just trust in god mm-hmm. is yeah, it really that easy it's kind of easy and it's like <laughs> the best and the hardest thing i've ever done it's like i said earlier it's not comfortable but you get used to the discomfort and it becomes a practice and so there are there are several practices that i have learned to overcome my natural inclination that i've been taught my whole life to to fill myself up and puff myself up and um, I have a kind of an emptying prayer that I pray every morning. It's not really like a particular wording, but it's just a process of of listening to my own heart and how it's scrambling to be more than I am and all of the things I'm worried about and all of the things I'm trying to fix in my own strength, and I just kind of empty those out before the Lord. And at the end, I don't feel filled, but I feel empty in a good way and ready for the spirit to fill me and uh, you know I, I imagine that clay vessel that is unashamed to invite the unfading treasure of the spirit to fill it and that's a kind of partnership instead of me feeling filled up in myself which is all full of myself emptying of my own efforts to be something makes more room for the spirit to fill and so every day I come to work feeling like I actually don't have in myself what I need to do this job today almost I can't remember the last time I came to work thinking like, yes, I'm totally ready for every single difficult conversation I have to have with a suffering person or a, a challenging staff conflict or whatever. Um, who can who can ever really be ready for all yeah, of those right. things? And uh, I think God made this work impossible. Uh, and when we actually acknowledge it, it's really freeing to say, um, yeah, nobody can be a true representation of God, and yet he's put us in this place where in some way we kind of have to be. And so what it requires of us then is to just confront the reality that this work is impossible and he made it that way so that we might need him. And so every hero we see in Scripture, you know, it's no, it makes no sense that David could kill Goliath. 
And there's, it's that way for a reason, so that we know there's something else going on here that we can't see. I think I started a rabbit trail there that I didn't finish, but... You were talking about the upside-down kingdom, I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I was talking about the uh, emptying and the filling. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some of those practices just help me kind of confront that and, and face it again every day. So it's not like I, like, wrote the book and now I've arrived and I never have to wrestle with <laughs> shame of humanity ever again. But um, it is freeing to just know this is the way it's supposed to feel and that forces me to need the Lord and He has come through in so many ways. The, the days that I have come feeling strong and preached a sermon that I thought was going to wow people have not really, they've totally fallen flat. And when I think of any time in my ministry when someone has said, man, that was powerful, I've wanted to be like, are you serious? <laughs> I did not feel power in any way. I was shaking in my shoes. I was bawling my eyes out. So that had to be the Lord. You know, we, we're talking so much about, you know, the vulnerability is hard and these practices are hard. And, but I'm struck sitting here thinking about the alternative, which is probably where most of us live most of the time. But the alternative is what? Fake it till you make it? I mean, stressing out and leaning on your own self to get stuff done. When, when uh, I had been here for about a year and a half and um, a, a bunch of college students started coming to our church, maybe close to 100 college students. And the year wow. before, it might have been 20. So we had this <laughs> explosion of college students coming and everybody looked kind of at me as the reason for these college students. And it felt good for the church, right, to be filled up with all this this youth and all this, you know, kind of stuff happening. Um, but the next, over that summer, after that kind of explosive growth, I all I felt was dread. Hmm. That's all I felt. Because I had no idea how to replicate what had happened. Hmm. And I felt just like this this all these eyes on me and all this pressure and was it real or perceived? I'm not even sure, but I just felt dread about having to perform again and get as many college students to come again as possible. Mm. And it was, it was horrible. <laughs> it was yeah. absolutely horrible. Uh, and so to me, I'm thinking that's the alternative. If I, yeah. you know, if I don't say God take it, then I got to figure something out right. in that dread yeah, that's a bad it's place. It's also to be. taking the credit for them coming in the first place. Maybe God was the one who drew them. It, he was. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe it was the, anything. Maybe it was the preaching, Johnny. Well, <laughs> I did preach a lot that year. That makes sense. <laughs> and you know, I totally agree. And I think it's really good when we even stop and evaluate that. I think we're just driven by that dread and that performance pressure without without always having the freedom to say, "Where is that coming from?" And is that the right way to be? And overstate the power of rest and Sabbath keeping for overcoming some of those pressures that we feel. And it's not something that you can, I, I didn't understand that until I stepped into the discomfort of literally stepping away from my work and trusting like, can God really handle my church for a day without me? Can my staff really handle it? And there's real peace in, in trusting. Not only do I have permission to be human and sleep in today, but God somehow can work <laughs> his wonders without me for a day. Now, you contrast in your book the three Bs, the buildings, bodies, and budgets. You contrast that as a metric of success for churches with the metric of thriving. Mm. So how are those different? How do you measure thriving? How do you know if you're thriving yeah. or not? Yeah. I'm not really a gardener, but I can imagine that it's pretty obvious if a garden is growing or not, if it's well-nourished and if it's reproducing, you know, if there's if there's fruit and, and flowering happening, if there's, if it's, you know, part of that does include some 
some uh, growth in size with a plant, but there's also something to do with fruit being born and with reproduction going on. And so I love the metaphor of thriving and, and gardening kinds of ideas because there definitely is a place that, a part that we play. You plant a seed and, you know, Jesus uses these metaphors. Um, and there's a partnership of watching and tending where something's growing and pruning back where something isn't growing and, and kind of it's a it's a responsive openness as opposed to a management kind of approach. And so there are things that I would have liked to have seen grow here that just didn't really take off and things that took off that I never would have anticipated. And so the question is if if I can be responsive to those and put energy and prayer and um, people into what's what's growing or if I'm just going to say, no, that wasn't in my plan. We have to do this thing instead. Going back to the beginning of our talk, you were talking about the, the staff structure of your church. Did mm-hmm. I see that your husband is involved on staff as well? No, he has been a pastor, but not at this church. So I have been the pastor's spouse and the pastor, and so has he. So that's kind of interesting. But no, he's a New Testament professor. So he is in ministry, but not at the church. And where does he teach? He teaches at Cincinnati Christian University. Great, great. That's right. Now, uh, and you say you're part-time as the lead pastor. Mm-hmm. And in, were you full-time as a lead pastor? No, I've always been about 25 hours a week. You've always been that. Yeah. And was the pastor before you full-time? Yeah, he was. We co-led for a while. So he was full-time for probably about 18 years. And then when he was stepping down, we both went part, well, he went part-time and I co-led with him. We were both part-time. And then um, I basically said, like, this is what I have to offer. What can you do with this? <laughs> you know, It forces me to equip other people to do a lot of things. Uh, which is kind of humbling. Somehow it seems to work, and I have an incredibly gifted and servant-hearted um, staff, and so they just somehow get the work done. Mandy, what's your next book going to be called? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I... The Invincible Pastor. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. I think I'm I'm pondering a lot about what it means, the emptying and the filling and just the, the humanness of things. I've, I have tossed around... Uh, how to be human, a primer for first world Christians. But I'm not sure if I'm going to work on that or not. I like that. Sounds I like cool. that a lot. And- Too. Yeah. And I think like bringing in the idea that I was talking about earlier about um, Jesus uh, being unafraid and unashamed of his own humanity and what that would mean if we could be as human as Jesus was. Um, so, yeah, tossing it around, but we'll see. That's good. And I want to encourage our small church pastors who are listening that, you know, you may not be able to do 25 hours a week at your church. Mandy, if you can do 25 hours a week and be the lead pastor, I bet our listeners can do 40 hours a week and be the lead (laughs) pastor and Mm -hmm. and actually try to have margin, try to experience Mm -hmm. rest, try to serve out of fullness, try not to be, you know, just constantly putting in too many hours. Last week, I think it was last week, Johnny, we talked about family, the balance between Mm -hmm. family and ministry and how so many Mm -hmm. pastors are on the ragged edge and aren't giving enough to their family. Mm -hmm. So I think, Mandy, you're you're a challenge and an, an inspiration to small church pastors that, you know, if you can do this in 25 hours, by the nature of delegating and equipping others and raising up others, I think that us uh, quote-unquote full-time pastors can do it in 40 hours and not, you know, hog another 10 or 15 hours of service away from our people 
as though we're the best qualified and the only ones who can do it. Because if we keep doing it, nobody's going to step up and offer. Yep. Amen. So necessity is the mother of invention. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mandy, we appreciate your time and I would encourage, uh, I would encourage all of our listeners to go check out the book, uh, the Kindle version. Is only nine ninety nine. That's a steal. I've got it. That's a steal, is what that is. There was some <laughs> sort of promotion yesterday when I bought it, and then it was free. So that was really a steal. Yeah. So Mandy, but... so then I get on right, and I buy it. I get the Kindle version. No, it wasn't free for you. Do, do I get a free? No, <laughs> I don't get. It. I got to pay the whole thing. What's that? How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Maybe I had credits from like something. And, and yeah, you know what, Johnny? Thanks for going back to the book because yeah. because if you're listening to this and and you have resonated. With these kinds of struggles and these kinds of feelings, man, go back. Mandy, you uh, you can write, you can take what's on the inside and put it on a piece of paper in, in such a beautiful way. Yeah, and yeah. I just want to encourage our listeners to pick that up. Johnny has, I haven't read the thing yet, Mandy. Johnny has fed me quote after quote after quote. Yeah. And I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, my, oh, that's so good. That's very that's good. That's encouraging. That's, so, that's been my prayer. Yeah, so I just want to encourage our listeners, really, really, The Vulnerable yeah. Pastor by yeah. Mandy Smith, pick it up and just use it in your devotional time. Yeah. Just yeah. use it uh, on a long weekend and just do some renewal and refreshing with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say, too, we've talked mostly today about kind of on the pastoral end of things, and I do begin with, like, my own personal struggles and how I've had to release and, and find freedom personally, but um, it has brought so much healing and growth and energy um, to my staff and to my community and helped us think more about how to engage well with the world that is tired of hearing the church always have easy answers and and be judgmental and, and have a forceful kind of way. And so it does definitely kind of begin with the pastor wrestling with these things and having personal freedom. But uh, it, it really has been life-giving to to the people around me and to our mission to the world as well. So it's a beautiful thing. Well, will you come back, Mandy, and talk to us about section two and three of the book then? I'd love to. Okay. Well, I'm going to hold you to that then because okay. because this has been great and, and the book uh, has been really good. So we'll get this podcast up uh, ASAP. But Mandy, thank you so much thank for you. joining us today on the podcast. It's been my joy. God bless. A very great conversation with a wonderful woman. Yeah. Absolutely. And a great pastor. And, and Cool that she's 25. You talked about it at the end there, but cool that she's 25 hours a week. Yeah. And now she said because she's a mom and she wants to be with her kids. And right. Things, and that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, a man could do that easily as well. But it's cool from the perspective of she's the lead pastor. She's the boss, but doesn't need to do 40 hours a week to prove it. Yeah. To me that's like there's a there's a posture of humility there that she has that's just that's just great. Yeah, you know I was thinking about that too. It's almost like okay, she can't really ever can she ever overwork? You know, <laughs> can she ever get out of balance when you're only doing 25 hours a week? Well, you know how it is with ministry. You take it home, you know, it, it oh, gnaws at where, the back of your brain. Yeah. And, yeah. That's where I don't Honestly, have I ever heard of, in a church that's large enough to support one, have I ever heard of a part-time lead pastor? I don't know that I have. No, especially because, like you said, they could support her full-time because they have two full-time associates. Soon to be three once my resume gets over there. But, you know, it's like (laughs) (laughs) they they could do it. 
and uh and, and she's she's choosing not to i think it's i think it's really great she see a woman can do in 25 hours what it takes us men 45 hours to get done i want to i want to say that's terrible but maybe it's my wife could do twice the work that i could do in a day that, so no that problem. that could no be problem. it here's here's my line of the episode and yet we crush others by presenting only our strengths and successes oh man the line before, when we hear only about the strengths and successes of others, it crushes us. And yet we pass it along by only sharing our own strengths and Isn't successes. Isn't that the truth, though? Isn't that, you know, we go to a conference or we go to a district, you know, retreat for our denomination or whatever, and somebody says, how's it going? And we say, it's going great, man. Attendance is up and we're doing good and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, really the elder board is, you know, falling apart or the deacons have burned down the building or... Yeah. whatever yeah, you, you know you have to have you know your third colonoscopy in a week you know or something like <laughs> oh, that yeah, and yet terrible. you know you don't want to talk about you it don't because you don't want to be a whiner either though you know right i think as pastors if we're a, if we're whining it's like we're complaining about god and we've always been well us older pastors have been taught that if if we if we're discontent Hmm. It means that we're not happy with what God's given us. So whenever we share a struggle or a problem or a frustration, you know, are we not are we not living by faith and are we not happy? Are we not content with such things as we have? That's I mean that's interesting. That's interesting. I yeah. think the answer is just being honest for the sake of honesty, not whining, not lamenting, you know, but But he's an honest whiner. Every time I talk to him it's always this or that. Nothing is, life is never good. I do hate people like that. You know? <laughs> I, I can't stand that at all. So it's, yeah, these are the things we struggle with, though, yeah. you know, and yeah. trying to be authentic and transparent and vulnerable. Vulnerable, right. You know, we risk. Yeah. We risk. But, you know, I think what she was talking about, it's not the same as being transparent or 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 authentic. I think that's one thing. But I think being vulnerable is being honest about our weaknesses, yeah, and then and then not trying to not trying to live into the strength of those weaknesses. How can we how can we shore them up? How can we get better and better and better? But to just recognize them, admit them, yeah, and admit that God can do with us even with our weaknesses whatever He pleases, yeah, and that even if we had strengths, God still got to do whatever He pleases, yeah. It's we're not the ones that grow the church, right. In her book, she talks about as kids, we don't mind saying, I don't know, or I don't know how to do that, or I don't understand. But as we grow, right, we don't want to say that anymore, yeah, and we're, we start to fake, right? And I and I know what she's talking about, right? Because I've been in situations where I felt like I, it was incumbent upon me to put on the face of knowledge and expertise or whatever, and just and so with, with some faux authority, right, I can say this thing, but... But it's not true. The truth would be to say I don't know. And like she says, to find humor in the fact that I'm so woefully <laughs> inadequate. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. what a place to be where you can laugh at the fact that you're inadequate because then you're leaning on God to do the work, not not yourself. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Which is where we, that's where we all have to lean. Yeah. Right? On yep. God. And it's so easy for us. And again, I, you know, I hate to, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse and beating the same drum all over again. But our American culture, you know, our first world culture gives us values that are not consistent with the values of the kingdom. Well, at the end, right, she said she's thinking about another book about, you know, how to be human in the first world. Right, right, right. 
So and and we're 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 connected to everything. Everything. What's the temperature outside? Pull the phone out of our pocket. You know? (laughs) What's the temperature in Beijing? Pull the phone out of our pocket. Standing next to a door checking the temperature. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, you can't look outside to see if it's raining. I get on, I look at the radar over the top of me. (laughs) I want to see if the rain is coming, going, if we're right in the middle of it. Yeah. It's terrible. We should move to a third world country where we have no cell coverage. Which is hard to find, I think, even nowadays. You'd, you'd learn something. I remember being in Nigeria and you know hearing this the 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 needs that people had there. We were in church and they were like for announcements time now. They said, "Well, you know, this woman was kidnapped last week, but she's back. Praise God." And I'm thinking wow. to myself, "Yeah, I'm complaining. I got you know a callus. <laughs> That's like, come on." And then they're like, "Yeah, so and so has been kidnapped and hasn't been returned yet. So we're gonna pray for them." I'm thinking that's something right there. So anyways, maybe that's a rabbit trail, but this was a great conversation with Mandy and uh, we are so glad to share with you and we're excited to have her back ASAP. And uh, yeah, we hope you've been blessed by this episode of the 200 churches podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 churches podcast. If you haven't already subscribe at 200 churches.com and receive the guys free PDF download called our seven favorite ministry resources. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with another brand new shiny episode just for you until then may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your your 200 church. Yeah, nobody can be a true representation of God. I'm sorry. <laughs> I put it on silent. Um, I guess you can cut that out. Oh, I'm the master editor. <laughs> okay. Um, so you start, you're saying nobody, start with nobody can be a true representation of God. Now it's buzzing. <laughs> Sit on it. Yeah. <laughs>